I know there were two long readings then, but I'm going to interject as we go through and just try and explain a couple more things. See, throughout the Bible, we read of spectacular events that the Lord performed. It was the Lord who performed them, not the prophets, but he used the prophets. The parting of the Red Sea. Could you imagine being there to see that? Moses, the Lord used Moses. The Jordan River, when Joshua uh, parted the Jordan River, or the Lord did it through him. The fall of Jericho. Some of these spectacular events. But you know, when you read through the Bible, there weren't all that many. Um, and not many of the prophets were used by God to perform miracles. You read through all the prophets, not many of them performed miracles. The Lord didn't use them. Okay? He used them to go out and tell the word, but they actually got chucked in prison and all sorts. But two of the greatest prophets in the Bible are these two, Elijah and Elisha. They always bring to us uh, a feeling of awe and the power of God. And so as we take a brief look at these two prophets, we realize that Elijah is coming to the end of his ministry. Ahab was king at that time. He was a Jewish king. His wife was Jezebel. She was a vile woman who massacred the prophets of the Lord. And the Lord is angry. And he sends Elijah to King Ahab. As we've just read, it happened when Ahab saw that Elijah, that uh, Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? He's calling Elijah a troubler. And Elijah said, I haven't troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. You've gone after other gods. You're the king of Israel. And you and your wife, you've gone after other gods. So I'm not the troubler, you're the troubler. And now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. I'd like us just to look at a map here, give us some uh, kind of area we're looking at. You see, if you look there, you'll see Mount Carmel, there uh, across from the Sea of Galilee. And, and this is the, the kind of area where this spectacular event is going to take place. And so we have this tremendous scene developing. <laughs> I was thinking about this. I often think about this when I read this. What, what a spectacular event that must have been. And, and in verses 20 to 24, it says, Hey, I've sent for all the children of Israel. I've never really noticed that before. All the children of Israel. Personally, I think it means the great majority who could get there. It would be hard to think of when we look at it in a bit, how all of Israel would get there. But all the children of Israel, it might be every single one. We can't doubt the word of God. But anyway, he says, he gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and he said, how long will you falter between two opinions? You see, he needed the people of Israel there because this is what it's for, is to turn the people of Israel back to him. So if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. That means they weren't ready yet to, to do that. They weren't ready to follow their God. They didn't answer him. And then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left, a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. Let them choose one for themselves. Cut it in pieces. 
lay it on the wood, put no fire under it, and I'll prepare the other bowl. Lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you shall call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Now you see the people are ready to listen. So all the people answered, it is well spoken. We won't believe you until that happens. You know, some people like that, they won't believe in God unless they can see some kind of, have some kind of experience or some kind of miraculous thing. And that's where the Israelites are. So, basically, uh, Elijah said, do it. Let's do it. Let's get it on. Now we have a, uh, another picture we can look at here. Now that's Mount Carmel. And he says, gather all Israel there. Now, whether they went to the, right to the top of Mount Carmel, we don't know. That's a modern picture of it. Um, whether it was on a plateau somewhere up there. But, but that's where this spectacular event was going to take place on Mount Carmel. And then, um, I'm sorry, I've lost my place here. So thousands came to witness this competition on Mount Carmel. It's going to be a massive event. All Israel, the prophets of Baal were there. Uh, Mount Carmel was a place of idol worship. Um, the Baals were worshipped there. It was the home ground of idolatry. That's where it was all happening. It used to be a place uh, of the worship of the God of Abraham, but now it wasn't. Full of idolatry. Horrible place. And so, you know, when we think about it, when a football uh, team plays at home, they're expected to win because it's their own ground. They, they've got a bit of advantage. But Elijah has come to the home of occult Baal worship. He's gone to their ground. He's playing on their territory. And all the prophets of Baal gathered, expecting to see the downfall of this old prophet of, uh, of the Lord, Elijah. They said, come on, we're going we're gonna to see this guy get his comeuppance. And they're all gathered there. And Elijah was willing to take them on on their home ground. He said to them, okay, there's 450 of you prophets of Baal. He said, right, go and prepare. Prepare a bull. Put it on the wood and call to your gods to send fire down. You call on the name of your gods and I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Well, what a challenge that is. I believe that the prophets of Baal thought, who's he kidding? That's not going to happen. Because they've never seen any miracles. You know why they've never seen any miracles? Because they didn't pray to the, the God of heaven. So they were convinced that it was going to be Elijah's downfall. And these prophets, these 450 prophets cried out, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us, hear us. No answer. I always say that when people are on about praying to other religions, what are you praying to? Nobody is. They're not there. They don't exist. No, no answer came. They danced around the altar. Baal, hear us. Still no answer. A few hours passed. And so Elijah began to mock them. Mock them. He said, shout louder. Baal, he can't hear you. He's either busy meditating or he's on a journey or he might be asleep. Shout louder. Oh, Baal, hear us. Baal, hear us. They were desperate. They began to cut themselves with knives and lances. They believed that would, you know, influence. Uh, they were doing like a bit of a sacrifice to Baal. They were covered in blood. 
Bale, hear us. The evening came, still no answer. So now the old prophet of the Lord steps forward. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he prepared the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seers of water. So you've got to picture this now, this old gray-haired prophet, an old man, but a very strong man. When you read this, you realize he's not a wimp, he's, he's a strong guy. After digging a trench round the altar, he dug it. He knew how to prepare sacrifices, so he's a bit of a butcher. He slices the bull in pieces. He's doing it. He's not a weak man. And he lays it on the wood. And the crowds are watching, wondering if anything would happen. Even the Israelites. I wonder what's going to happen. Is anything going to happen? And then he begins to dramatize the scene a bit more. He gets them whipped up. He says, fill four pots of water. Pour it on the burnt sacrifice and pour it on the wood. He tells them to do it three times until the bull was wet, the wood was wet, the trench was filled with water. The excitement was at, at its peak. What's going to happen? Then Elijah stands in front of the altar and he looks to heaven and he calls out. Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known to you this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. He says, look, it's you that's told me this, Lord. He says, let them understand, I'm not telling them this. You have told me to tell them this. Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now can you imagine that scene? I think that would have been a frightening scene for the Israelites, for the prophets of Baal. It would have been a terrifying scene. Fire coming down from heaven. I mean, at odd times we see lightning, don't we, you know, and people get killed by lightning. I was reading last week somebody got killed by lightning. And, and, and but this is a fire that's going to come down from heaven. And it's going to burn everything that it hits. And there must have been a terrible noise. It wouldn't have, come, it wouldn't have been silent. There would have been a roar as that came down. I believe everybody there would have been trembling. Been like an explosion. And it was Baal, who was supposedly the Lord of the weather, but only the God of Israel could produce lightning from a cloudless sky. The people were left in no doubt who was the true God. And they trembled. But it wasn't Elijah's victory. It was the Lord's victory. Having established that he was a prophet of the Lord, who the Lord vindicated by answering his prayer, he then orders the slaughter of the prophets of Baal at the brook of Kishon. 
The people are now fully convinced by this spectacle, and so they obeyed Elijah and killed all 450 of the prophets of Baal. And though the people stood with Elijah, Ahab and the king and his queen Jezebel, they didn't. Seems that Ahab wasn't all that impressed. They still had no fear of the Lord. And Jezebel apparently wasn't at the scene. She must have stayed in the palace. And in this next chapter, uh, we read, uh, we're introduced to Elisha somewhere along the line here. And so it seems as if Jezebel wasn't there. And in 1 Kings 19, chapter 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel didn't know until Ahab told her. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as, as one of them by tomorrow at this time. So Ahab and Elijah and Jezebel are still believing in their gods. The gods of Baal that don't exist. And she says, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as, la as one of them by tomorrow. In other words, the prophets you've killed, I'm going to make your life like theirs because we're going to kill you. And when he saw that, when Elijah saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Makes you realize, you see, Elijah realized that he didn't have the power to bring down fire from heaven. It was God. And so, threatened with his life, he does a runner. Just to be a Sheba, we like to be honest, we have another uh, map here if we can look at. So, here we are, you see, we realize where he is there up at Beersheba and, uh, and at Jezreel. And so, he flees from Jezreel in the north to Beersheba. Now, to us, you know, it's just a few words on paper, but you need to realize what kind of journeys these were. He, he flees to Jezreel in the north to Beersheba in the far south of the promised land, as far from Jezebel as he can get. And the distance from the top of Mount Carmel to Beersheba uh, was uh, about 25 miles on foot. And then he leaves his servant at Beersheba. He said, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, about 15 miles then, and he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die, and he said, it's enough now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. He said, I failed. What good has it done? And since Jezebel didn't fear the Lord, after that spectacle on Mount Carmel, he felt he'd failed his ancestors. He says, well, I've, I haven't succeeded. He might have thought, well, maybe what I should have done is, is have Jezebel executed as well. And Elijah is depressed. A man who's just obeyed the Lord and, and fires come down from him and he destroyed 450 prophets and then he's depressed. You know why? Because he's only a man. He's a mortal man. Let's remember... We're told that Elijah was a man like us. 
In James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's only a man. And he knew that it was the Lord who produced the fire. He knew that Jezebel had already slaughtered many prophets of the Lord. But the Lord who answered his prayer by fire heard his prayer again. Elijah was scared. Did the Lord think you wimp? No. The Lord heard his prayer. Really, he lay and slept under a broom tree and suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Again, you see, we read a few words and we don't realize the distance. If you look at that map, he came then from Beersheba right down to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. A long journey on foot. And because it says here that it was the angel of the Lord who came to him, well, some scholars believe that this was a theophany. It was the Lord himself who visited Elijah and touched him and fed him. And then Elijah began this long journey to Mount Horeb, where, where Moses received the Ten Commandments down there. And his journey took him, we took 40 days and nights. As we said, Horeb is a, an alternative name from Mount Sinai. And it was about 200 miles from Beersheba. That's where he fled to. You know, when, just a few verses, don't, you don't realize that massive journey from Beersheba, 200 miles he went. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And we told, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your father, uh, down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. He's not mentioning the prophets, that, the fire that came down, the prophets that were killed, because we're like that. You know, some people can see... Uh, uh, wonderful things in in their face, uh, and and they forgot they forget sometimes prayers that's been answered. And Elijah he needed some encouragement from the Lord, and so the Lord encouraged him. In verse eleven, he said, "Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord." And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after this, a still small voice. Now listen to me. Now listen, Elijah. You know, sometimes don't we have to find a place where it's quiet, when there's too much noise and too busy a place, and we just need to be somewhere where it's a quiet place, where when I'm going for my walks, uh, I, I sometimes say, Lord, I'm not going to say a prayer now. I'm just going to listen. And I start singing while I'm walking. And I'm not saying I ever hear anything verbally, but sometimes scriptures come to my mind. 
And I felt, believe the Lord's speaking into my soul. And so Elijah heard, he heard all this commotion and he sought the Lord in these powerful elements of wind, earthquake and fire, but the Lord wasn't in them. And then the Lord spoke to him in a still small voice. And Elijah heard the voice of God speaking to him. I believe that was, that was a proper voice. He would, Elijah would definitely hear what God had got to say. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now this may have been the same cave where the Lord spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And Elijah begins to pour his heart out to God. I don't know if you've ever done that yourself when you've been depressed. You know, don't think that these prophets and apostles think they get depressed. They did. And don't bite you. Sometimes that's when you really pray. You know, when you're depressed, when you're down, when things are not going right. When you're overwhelmed with troubles and woes and grief. And it's not weak to do that. And I, as a minister of the Lord, have done it many times, many times. When Elijah repeats his experience to the Lord again, he says, I've been very zealous for you, Lord, because the children of Israel have forsaken you. They've broken your covenant, they've torn your, torn your altars down, they've killed the prophets with the sword. There's only me left, and now they're after me. <coughs> and so... The Lord gives him three tasks to do. He's to anoint three people. So then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also he shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel you shall anoint as prophet in your place. He's about to retire his own Elijah. And this was for the purpose of commissioning these three people, which holds to anoint, to destroy, to destroy Baal worship in Israel. Through these three men, the Lord completed the execution of Baal worship that Elijah had begun. He says, these three will complete what you started to do, Elijah. These three will get rid of a lot of them. Reading in verse 17, it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. It says, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bound to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He says, be encouraged, be encouraged. These three guys, uh, they, they are going to get rid of all the Baals. And Elijah, he, he thought that he was the only one left. And so the Lord encouraged him. They had reserved 7,000 faithful men who didn't bow to Baal and kiss any of his images. He says, you're not alone, Elijah. And now Elijah was being told his retirement was imminent. But he says, the Lord's got a replacement for you. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. I'm retiring you, Elijah. I wonder what Elijah thought as the Lord told him he was about to uh, retire him from his ministry and he even told him who would replace him. 
So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by and threw his mantle on him. That's his cloak. And he threw it on him. That was a, a symbolic act, indicating that, that he designated Elisha as his successor. I've won this, Elisha. It's yours now. And Elisha understood that this meant, and he asked permission to say farewell to his family. He says, I know what you're asking me to do, Elijah. He said, but I want to go back to my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters. And Elijah kind of indicated that it wasn't him who called Elisha, it was God. He said, Elijah was basically saying, Look, this is not me calling you, Elisha. This is God. This is the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob. Therefore, it's up to you, Elisha, to decide how, how you'll respond to the call of God on your life. Later on, we, we'll read that uh, Elisha will get that cloak permanently when Elisha, Elijah is taken to heaven. And so we read in verse 20, uh, Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I'll follow you. And he said, Go back again. What for? What have I done to you? Don't you realize? He would, would going back to his father and mother have kept him from following Elijah? Would his father and mother uh, have pleaded with him not to go? What are you going for? We've got a business here. There's all uh, them oxen and we've got lots of work to do. And Elijah reminds him what he's done to him, throwing his cloak over him. He says, you've been called to be a prophet of the Lord, Elisha. I'm not calling you. The Lord's calling you. And you know, this call of God can sometimes people look for an excuse not to obey this call. And in fact, Jesus encountered the same response, didn't he? He called people to follow him in Luke 9, 57. It happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you, go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell while at my house. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, there are people uh, who think they've got some kind of calling, but when it comes to some kind of sacrifice, well, no, I'm happy where I am. I'm comfortable here. But Elisha, because he is under the call of God, genuinely recognized the call of God on his life. And so he made the right decision. He turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So in fact, 12 yoke of oxen probably indicates that Elisha and his family were very wealthy. He gave up his wealth, he gave up his secure lifestyle to follow Elijah in serving the Lord. And we might call it today burning our bridges. I don't like you, but you know what? When we become Christians, we have to start burning some bridges. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, Paul said, 
Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered all the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. That was a genuine call of someone to follow God. And you know, we're not worse off when we follow the Lord. And so Elisha would work alongside of Elijah, and Elijah would tutor him and prepare him to take over after him. And I remember I was told by my son Ben over the last three years, and my son-in-law Keith, that's not what I should have been doing three years ago, looking for a replacement to work alongside me, ready to take over the reins and pastor this church. But to be honest, I didn't want to. I didn't want to give up the reins. So I hung on. But through the COVID area, it became clearer to me that for the sake of our church, we would need a man of God to lead us into the next generation. And I believe the Lord prepared the right man to pastor our church. And he sat here, Russ. I've taken a step back, but I haven't mm -hmm. taken a step away. I'm here to help our new pastor. In 2 Kings, chapter 2, Elijah is taken to heaven in a chariot of fire and in a whirlwind. So I'm hoping the Lord's going to take me, not take me away yet. <laughs> Leave me here for a bit. And Elisha became an amazing prophet of the Lord. And we're reminded that the Lord has replacements for all his ministers. He never leaves his sheep without a shepherd. And his true shepherds leave the world's side for the Lord's side. If you're a true shepherd, you leave the world's side for the Lord's side. The Lord calls all his people to leave the world's side. If you're a Christian, he says he's calling you away from the world. What that means is he's calling you away from the vain philosophies, for the immorality, the spiritual adultery, the atheism, the occultism, and he says, just come away from that and join the army of Christ. We're going to sing together. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers for the lives to bring? Who will lead the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? By thy call of mercy, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side, Saviour. We are dying. Amen. Amen.